0: So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here's the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne, welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of Cash Flow to Freedom. Today, we are going to have a great discussion on the real estate market, and you're gonna hear a lot of different, I think, viewpoints and aspects that you haven't considered. I am extremely excited and very interested in our current guest. Gary Boomshire has so much experience. He's been in the game for so long. We're talking pre-Great Recession days, so we are going to get some great feedback and historical context to this discussion, which I think is a lot of people that are just getting in the game without having any experience in those market volatilities. Um, But also a look at deal flow, what's going on, and what he's seeing, because he's got his hands in the middle of it. And he really is an expert, and uh, he is so knowledgeable. So with that, Gary, thanks for coming on. We're so excited to have you here.
1: Uh, AJ, it's really a pleasure. I know that we've been working to get this scheduled, and you and I have a lot in common. We were just chatting. I'm a big fly fisherman. I just got back from your home state of Idaho and, and I got, uh, got my wife actually to fly fish for the first time in Montana. So man, um, that's when we talk about financial freedom, I call it the, uh, the different pillars of freedom and one is having the time to be able to do the things that we love and, uh, and so I'd love to be able to share my journey at some point today because I've been doing full-time real estate investing, gosh, 2004. So I left a six-figure software sales position. In California my wife had left a brand manager role in the wine business and we had a two-month-old baby and a four-year-old baby and uh, that, that two month old is now she just got her driver's permit so uh, int- interesting uh, interesting journey a lot of mistakes a lot of lessons learned and I love to share it with other entrepreneurs that are out there trying to have financial freedom and
0: you know uh, that's that's okay this is so you got started in I mean the early 2000s. This is the heat of it, right? This is this is the top, and then you've been through it all. Now, now the question that I have though is, did you go back to your job? So during the Great Recession, did you go back to working, or when you called it quits, was it over, and was it, and did you never return?
1: No, I never returned. I never returned. I never. Our first deal, by the way, my first deal. Gosh, I shared this story. I actually, I was on stage for Rafael Vargas a few weeks ago. He's a $4 million a year wholesaler, super good guy, friends with him. But I was teaching and I shared on stage uh, my very first deal in 2004, made a ton of mistakes, but uh, netted 181 grand. And that was really the uh, the linchpin that, that really funded our start in this business. And today I, I run a team, I have over 100 people that report to me all over the world. I run a company called realestateinvestor.com, and a lot of people out there know us as REI Vault. We're the largest marketer for agents and investors, so we're doing a massive amount of direct mail. I think, I just pulled the numbers, I think we're almost at 38 million pieces of direct mail that we've sent out, a large cold calling team. We've done over a million outbound cold calls, and I have a phone follow-up team that, as we generate the leads for people, we, we then call the seller, text message them, You know, follow up with them and then screen them doing all the work. So the real estate investor doesn't have to do it. And then we schedule appointments on houses that are, that are ready for them to go see. So I do that. And then I'm in four markets. I started that business, believe it in 2005. And then when the market shifted, you were asking about the shift, 2008, everything shifted and I moved into lending. So we were actually lending at the beginning of the cycle, which is like 2009 to 2013, money was very difficult to get. So I was lending and then we shifted again because the money became easy to get. Like right now, money is very easy flowing and deal flow is harder. So we moved back into the deal flow game and I love it if that makes sense. But I will say for everybody on the call, real estate has been a seven year cycle for over 100 years. And this is the longest cycle uh, that we've actually seen in 100 years. We're kind of nearing year 10. And a lot of us, I'm in nine masterminds, a lot of us are calling it the euphoric stage of real estate when all the TV commercials, you got Dean and Fan out there. I mean, I was at the gym this morning and they're, they're both of them side by side. Dean Graciosi and Fan at Fortune Builders, I know them both. And so that's a sign of the times when your barber and the nail salon are talking about real estate and mm-hmm. things are going crazy. And competitive and so I think people should definitely be watching and I know I know uh, we could sh- talk a lot about that so I'm I'm yeah. very conservative right now I think the smart money is being is being watchful and uh, this is a great market for wholesaling this is there's gonna be some challenges for people in the hot markets like I, I think the linear markets are fantastic like Nebraska Omaha Memphis, those are great buy and hold markets, but uh, the coastal areas are probably gonna have a correction is my
0: my opinion. Your opinion is so interesting because of your viewpoint and experience. First of all, you play on both sides, right? So you have your realestateinvestor.com, the REI bolt, and you're, you're helping actually find deals. So you actually have a, what I would call a real estate business, right? But two, you also are a participant where you, buy deals, you've owned real estate, you've done all these other aspects. So you're playing on both sides of the fence. And that gives you a different perspective. And I, and I think it's important for under people to understand because you're not saying from one one side of your mouth that this is what I think you should do because you should necessarily use my product or not, but you're saying from an active investor standpoint, what you believe should you should be doing and what you are currently doing at this point. And this comes from a, a wealth of experience. And maybe I think we need to go back. Let, let's, let's go all the way back and start there so we can give context and then we can really dive into the today's current market conditions what, and what you're seeing and feeling. But if you go all the way back to when you started that first deal, you got whatever it was, 181,000. It funded. Did you, did you both immediately quit your jobs and move straight into real estate what was your experience up to that point? And I, I mean, what, what, what frame of mind were you in when you're just like, this is great. Let's just do it. Quit our jobs. Great paying jobs and let's go for it.
1: Yeah. AJ, you'll appreciate this. So I just turned, my wife and I just turned 50 and we're coming up on our 25th wedding anniversary. And I look back at, wow, we actually quit our jobs. We had a $700,000 mortgage and two little babies. And I can't believe it. I do not recommend that to anybody. It was just, I look back now that I'm 50 and it's like, man, that was crazy. (laughs) So yes, we did it. No, it's not a best practice. I would not recommend it. I coach a lot of people and I just uh, had this conversation with this super cute couple in Dallas and he was a pilot and she was a former Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. And we had the same conversation. They, we talked, they had 90,000 bucks off of a deal. And I said, I want you to take that and I want you to stick it in a savings account for protective investments and not use that for funding deals and uh, cause you guys will need that. And why? Because I didn't have that safety net and I hate, I hate seeing other people that are good people that are looking for freedom of time and money and also stability right into the future and making the same mistakes I made. So I, I, I'm probably most passionate of being able to like, you know, drop the little, the little pebbles in the water, and actually have an impact on other people. I get a lot of feedback from it, and it's just, it's, it's pretty awesome. But let me go, it didn't really start in 2004. Let me actually back up even further. My parents had a real estate brokerage called Boomershine Realtors, and the San Francisco Oakland Hills, very, very prestigious uh, area of California, about 30 minutes from San Francisco. And so as I was a kid, my parents had a family business, all of us kids got our real estate licenses and I, w- I started and paid for college by uh, door knocking, cold calling, holding open houses. And also we had rental properties. And I actually didn't like the real estate business. Silicon Valley was just sort of the new thing. And so I got a computer engineering degree and I went down the Silicon Valley path. So I had a license, so I was a licensed real estate agent from 1987 to 2005. And then my attorney in California said, "Hey, you should probably you're not really you know you're not representing sellers, you're really doing this for your own benefit and buying and selling and and I recommend you don't have a real estate license and so I refer out and take a marketing fee today. but what's interesting of why I might have a unique insight into the markets is a couple of reasons so." There have always been cycles. My parents used to have the ups and downs. And there was a period of time back in the 70s and then the 80s that my parents used to say the only people that would even come to the open houses were the neighbors. Houses would absolutely sit in hot markets. And so I I did the amount of data and research, and it's been a seven-year cycle for 100 years. You can actually 2001 to 2008, and you can almost see the exact seven years you know, going back, and it's usually a third kind of a, an exterior event that happens it. You know, we had the World Trade Center, you know, issue. We had the mortgage financial meltdown issue. That was the seven-year cycle. Uh, we had the oil embargo. So there's interesting cycles that I think people are missing. And um, And so, you know, we have a, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but it's an important one. We have a fiat money system right? Our money is actually fake. It is backed by nothing. And so the Federal Reserve and the central banks that are all connected worldwide, except three countries, have the ability of making, you know, we have natural supply and demand, and then we have that. Yep. <laughs> and so back in, you know, back in the Great Depression, they actually pulled out 65% of the money supply, which is what really caused the whole change and the, uh, the, the New Deal, et cetera, et etc. Cetera. So, I just think that people should be watching. Um, there's an incredible transformation of wealth in the turning markets. I think this next change in, in this next cycle is going to be, there's going to be a massive amount of wealth to be made, but at the same time, a lot of that transfer comes from people that get hurt. And I think people that are, that are, are uh, not, uh, doing the Warren Buffett model, Warren Buffett, right? One of the smartest guys on the planet says buy low, sell high, don't in, don't lose investor money and follow the local laws, and I think a lot of people are um, playing a house of cards and not and and also musical chairs. I, I know people in Denver right now that have been rehabbers and making a lot of money, but they're they're taking zero profits. They're not making any money just so that they can keep their their uh, their their rehabbers busy, and that is a strategy for disaster. And I think a lot of the rehabbers, a lot of the people that are doing that kind of market, the people that are in retail and buying retail are probably going to see the biggest impact. The coastal areas are going to probably have the biggest impact at some point. Uh, Do I have a crystal ball? Is it tomorrow? Is it, you know, in the next three years? I'm not sure. I think it's sooner rather than later. So I think wholesaling is fantastic. I think buying smart, uh, especially in the linear markets like Omaha. I was just at the... Buffett uh, Warren Buffett shareholder meeting. When the market turned, Omaha, Nebraska, actually had the six percent. It only shifted up and down six percent, and there's great returns there. So there are some great markets. Linear markets means during a market change, they they kind of steady eddy. And I love the fundamental markets and people that are that are buying with without a strategy here in in on the coastal areas. I think have a a, change, a chance for uh, for getting hit
0: obviously this is cash flow and freedom and i my whole investing philosophy is surrounded by cash flowing assets that reallocates the return and you compound out over time right your your overall returns and that's how you build wealth alongside income both of those things together so i i'm i fundamentally am not a speculator by nature I don't calculate for appreciation or I don't believe in pro formas. Through those market cycles, there's different investing types and strategies, as, as you're talking about. Can you explain how the market cycles that you have seen affect different strategies and explain why?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually want to start by, this actually was Warren Buffett as well. But Warren Buffett defined a real estate, you know, he owns Berkshire Hathaway, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, big investment, big. Uh, that's their big foray into real estate. But he said a real estate investor, definition of a real estate investor is somebody that has money and somebody that basically buys a property and they hold it for the long haul. They take all the benefits of appreciation, depreciation, right? All the tax benefits, cash flow. Now there are people that call themselves real estate investors, but they're truly business operators. Those Mm -hmm. are people that are actually flipping, wholesaling, Mm -hmm. rehabbing, right? It's a one-time transaction fee. And I service realestateinvestor.com and REI Vault probably service that group more than anybody. From my perspective, that's great, but it is a business and every business needs to have a CEO who's running the business and making financial, fiscally responsible decisions in terms of you know, resources, et cetera, but they're not a real investor. Why I think that's important is that in real estate, there's th- kind of three channels uh, that I think are important. You have cash now, you have cash flow, and you have cash later. And I think and when I coach people and share my own story and lessons learned, those are the three buckets So cash now is typically, it's a one-time transaction. Cash flow is typically rental income. I love the cash flow. I also like lending. I like first position, especially in this market, uh, conservative first position lending. I do it mainly on my 401k. So I get tax benefits as opposed to to ordinary income. And then you have tax uh, cash later, which is usually through appreciation or having you know a tenant or tenants paying down the mortgage. And so I think those are the three buckets. The problem is if anybody plays in any one of those, they may have risk. So you could be playing in the cash flow and cash later, but you don't have any operating capital and you go broke just like the game of monopoly. And so I think those are the three areas. I think in a downturning market, people should be very watchful to be able to say, hey, can I survive a downturn with uh, higher vacancies? right? And a flat market where I can't unload uh, properties and can I survive and manage my cash flow for 18 months? Because those are typically a cycle usually has about an 18 month stall out where people need to be able to, you know, button down the hatches. It's also really interesting. It's biblical as well. There's the story of Joseph in the seven years of Mm -hmm. feast followed by the seven years of famine. And the actual date is called Shemitah, which is a, a Hebrew calendar. And and if you go back historically, you can actually see those same uh, Shemitah uh, years almost following in suit for the last hundred years. It's very fascinating.
0: Mm-hmm. That's also where jubilee came from. When you look at and I think that historical context for me is is very very important because if you are whether it's a business owner or real estate investor, right, it, you're 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 trying to sustain growth over the long term and you're trying to do this through expanding first of all your area lowering your risk increasing your cash flow which will then in turn increase your overall equity or net value of the company. And I and, and I view it the same way. You have certain kind of real estate actions that are business actions. This is, And you're going out and you're creating or producing that revenue. And then one side, which is investing, which is the revenue is being produced from another means, i.e. tenants are actually living there, right? Now, these people that are out and they're running businesses. So they're out producing through flips, fix and flips, right? They're creating value but there's not really a revenue base. So there are sales, right? We're, 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 selling. Um, now these different market cycles have different effects on this. Obviously when you're like you were in 2008, the product that you're selling is now worth half of what you bought it for is devastating. Right. Um, but too, you don't need it just to drop in pl- price. You also just need the buyers to go away and then there's no buyers. You have no one to sell to. Right. And all market cycles are different and all market areas are different, but now you can talk about the context. Your family has been in this for a long time. Real estate can be and tends to be actually very localized within the United States. Now that was not true in 2008. Now, although some areas were hit more than uh, others, right? It it sucked everywhere, right? It was not good. Um, We were in an actual real estate crisis. Now, as you look forward, do you see this as more of a regional, the next recession and, and the buildup that you're seeing is this, do you view this as more regional or is this wise, widespread? And if it is, and if it's not, and if this is your game, right? Like that, let's say that I am a I'm a wholesaler or I'm a flipper or whatnot. that is my business. This is how I operate. How do you prepare your business for these market changes? Because it's not if, it's just when. It yeah. will happen. So, how do you get ready? How do you prepare? Uh, do you reallocate assets into other markets? I mean, what what are your thoughts here? Well, one is
1: looking at this long term. There's a habit that I see often where everybody's looking at, you know, they're looking through like a pinhole, and, and they're looking like four feet in front of them. And I think it's really important to be looking at what we do long term for long term financial freedom. First off, I have no crystal ball. But our teams, we actually look at the model saying, "Hey, let's talk what 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 happens in a correction, a downturn or a systematic crash?" So we basically just looked at all three of those scenarios and then basically said, "Hey, on these scenarios, good thing, bad thing. what would we do so that we just have a plan? Ultimately, I think we're going to see massive inflation in the United States, uh, which is a very good thing for people that are owning property, if they can sustain. Uh, you know, Here's a, here's a fact. Uh, according to you know, all the research in the Federal Reserve, by 2022, so in two years, we will not have enough money to pay the interest on the debt in the United States. So what are the levers that the, the banking system can, can manage too? There's like seven or eight of them. But the most likely, in, in my opinion and the people that are a lot smarter than me that I'm following, is inflation, which means, hey, a house is worth 250,000 today, that house could be worth a million. It could be worth five million in 10 years. And because they, they basically the, the money, the value of the dollar goes down, also it means a gallon of milk is like 20 bucks. Can that happen? It absolutely does happen. It's happening in Venezuela. We look at all the other countries. This has been going on for thousands of years. It's
0: gone on in the United States many of the time. Well, yeah. And to to that point, I think a lot of people don't understand uh, that the federal reserve, they need inflation. Like they have to have it because inflation also lowers your debt. Now you're just playing with a magic wand, right? Mm -hmm. But without that inflation, your debt becomes ginormous in compared to what you're doing so they 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 expect it they right. they want it and they have to have it and if you're not getting inflation that's a big problem because right. your debt looks way way bigger than you either anticipated or you want it to look right and it, and we have a debt based
1: system money is actually created out of debt yes. and most people can't even fathom that concept right it's 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 so ingrained like you know money it has value. It's actually debt. So when we actually have a million dollars in our bank account, what you really have is you actually have a million dollars of somebody else's debt. We're trading around. IOUs. <laughs> IOUs. What that all means from my perspective, because you could also go down this whole rabbit hole of how that all works, which I had a fun you know, conversation over a beer. But in reality, it's like, okay, over the long haul, owning cash is not necessarily what you want. What you want is you want assets. Assets, preferably without debt. So I love the idea of, of being able to own property. I love the, the areas, the linear markets for long-term buy and hold because I think rents are gonna go up. I think values are gonna go up and we wanna be sitting on assets. Other 10 years, uh, I think that's a very good play. the the only The only risk is just, hey, when the market turns, can you sustain if, if there's a, if there's a downturn in the market, can you sustain with higher vacancies? And I just had this conversation. I was at a, uh, an event in Fargo and somebody was asking me about their portfolio. I think they have 60 properties, 60 single family properties, and they're currently at about 60% of the value in terms of what the debt is. And they walked me through their vacancies and their numbers. And I said, I think you are absolutely great shape to sustain and go right into the, the next economy um, in terms of how they're doing it. I think people that actually have a small amount of funds and they're betting on the come, and if there was a change in their vacancy rate and there was a downturn, they're going to get wiped out. right? They, they, they wouldn't if, if somebody needs a 90% occupancy rate on their properties, and that's to sustain and, and cash flow break even. that's a that's a bit of a an issue if they're not sitting on you know some some, some sizable uh, money. I love, by the way, I, that's one of the reasons I love first position loans. It's also a hedge against a change. So if you're sitting in first position loans, like I, I fund it like 30, 40 percent of the purchase price here in California. And I'm looking at it from a standpoint, of, hey, if we had the worst downturn in the market, and we had an earthquake and I was taking over a pile of lumber, would I be happy with having to foreclose and take that property back? And So I'm making decisions like that because if there is a turn, that's also a hedge. And during this time, I'm getting a 9%, 9 9.5% return on my capital.
0: Let's talk about debt. You play, once again, on both sides of the fence. with Debt, you, I assume, utilize debt in some way, shape, or form in your real estate. And two, you also use debt... So you use debt as a liability and an asset because you use it to purchase real estate, but you also lend this, these are two contrary things. But when you look at it, when you're buying a property, what do you think is, I think a lot of people are saying, well, what's the right amount of debt? Like, where should I be hitting it? And especially at debt at levels as cheap as it is now, when you're, you know, I mean, there's a lot of questions going around, around that. How does that, how do you look at that when you're purchasing? But two, how does that affect you when you left? Bunch of very, very good questions. And I'm, I, I
1: wouldn't say I'm the master expert. I, there are a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me in this area. Cause I, I'm not a super high volume guy. I do what I'm known for out there is, you know, being able to drive massive amounts of deal flow you know off market deals. So but just from my personal perspective of how I'm looking at the market for my own portfolio and then how I coach some of the people that ask me my opinion, I am I think it varies from market to market. Just some fundamentals for me, I don't do recourse loan. The only recourse that I do is on my own primary residence. I'm actually more of a Dave Ramsey fan in terms of like not being a not being a slave to the lender, so I now, a lot of people actually are a lot better at, at leveraging and, and utilizing funds. We don't actually do that. So, I don't actually have a lot of debt. I have a lot of private money people that, uh, that, that piggyback with me on my deals, but it's all non recourse. You know, I just, I've, I've, I've actually seen the ramifications of that. I, I, I have a super good friend, and they have a $700 million line of credit, all personally guaranteed. And uh, I was in a mastermind with these guys, super sharp. They're on the East Coast. They do hard money. They do, they, they, their portfolio is probably 1500, 2000 houses, but they're all personally guaranteeing it. And, and I asked them, I'm like, hey, do you guys ever worry about you know, maybe taking some chips off the table? Or is this an, uh, you know, uh, all, all, all steam ahead? You know, this is the new market norm. And their opinion was, this is the new norm. And uh, I walked out of there saying, I'm, I'm not in agreement with that. <laughs> a lot of people are saying this is the new norm, but you know, AJ back in 2000- when you say
0: this is the new norm, what, that, 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 that as in the market's not gonna have another debt cycle, that correct. the business, yeah. that the business I, cycle is essentially gone.
1: I think a lot of people have forgotten what 2007 and 2008 look like. Because that's what day.
0: Alan Greenspan said in 2000, and what was it, three, that we had effectively tamed the business cycle due to their ability to monitor with interest rates, and that's why they never rose interest rates, which we all know how that ended.
1: Look, Bernanke,
0: Bernanke, two months before the meltdown
1: said the economy was absolutely fine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That there was no problem in the subprime market. It's for me, I've been around the block, I've seen it too many times, and it's like, hey, you know what, I think real estate is like Warren Buffett says, and just work on the, you know, the fundamentals, uh, if, you know, do it in a way where the market market cycle doesn't really hurt. Now I'm positioned where if the market turns great, we do, we do great. Uh, if, if the market continues to skyrocket, you know, we've got a good, you know, healthy business.
0: Now how do you position yourself though? So you say if the market turns, you do great, you know, how, how are you, how do you take advantage or how do you do great during those times?
1: Yeah. Well, if there's a, if there is a change in the market, like a, a, you know, I don't think we'll see what we saw in 2008 that exact way, but typically what happens at the beginning of the cycle, end of the cycle, beginning of the cycle, whatever you want to call it, the deal flow typically moves right now. The deal flow primarily for single family properties is going direct to the seller. There's a massive I buyer movement. That's where we play right now with realestateinvestor.com. There's a massive move to go after off-market sellers, right? Direct to the seller, bypass the agent, make them a cash offer, and that's where all the deal flow is. When the market turns, it typically turns into foreclosure auctions, bank REOs, and back to the buying HUD properties. So when there's a a major market correction, that's typically a rehabber market, right? Or or long-term buy and hold. And the money is usually, massively contracted, so there's very little money, and so the people who are actually doing lending who are still alive, do really well. So what would I do in the next economy? I would probably be doing both. We're planning up around lending, because I love lending, I know it really well. So being a being a money supply, and then also acquiring and loading up on properties, right? There's a, a buy low, sell high. Right now we're at a kind of a high point, high water mark. So I'm not buying and holding right now at all. Uh, I'm actually we've actually liquidated most of our portfolio, moving in for you know buttoning up the hatches a little bit.
0: And when (laughs) did you start that? Uh, Two and a half years ago. Let's talk about here. I want to take this back into context. With you're talking about the future, talk to us about 2008. What were you doing? How'd you get through it? How'd you? survive or not survive, you know, the horror stories, everything, because this is, this obviously shapes your worldview because you were in real estate during that time. So what was I doing when I started in
1: 2004, heading into, uh, I would say 2007, I was actually buying high end luxury home loaded up, you know, maxed out. Uh, properties and I was negotiating, that were in distress and I was basically buying them and negotiating the debt. So I was doing short sells and buying paper. And it was a great business. Nobody knew what a short sell was back then. If you tell a real estate agent that you're going to get less than full payoff for a loan, they thought you were completely nuts. So I I had a market to myself, (laughs) especially in California. And then what happened was, and I was making a lot of money. I was holding some of the properties I have a philosophy to keep the best, sell the rest, and that started back then. But what happened was I was having all this success, had great relationships with the banks, and then all of a sudden my, my success rate like dropped. So end of 2006, going into 2007, I was, I was getting declined on our offers that I'd never seen before. And so I thought maybe I had been blackballed and had put on some bad list. And what I found out is no, that they were actually hiding the losses, that the investors that were backing the notes um, were actually delaying the losses. And I saw it everywhere. And then I started uh, reaching out. There was a guy that I was following, his name is Bruce Norris. Love that guy, super, super sharp. So Bruce actually was wrote a book on the coming of the California downturn and then he revised it. And it was called the coming of the California crash. And so I studied under him and the market cycles and, and we unloaded. So we actually unloaded most of our portfolio. We were out by you know, 2007. Now, what, what, what I did get caught not expecting is I had, the, I had a company that was doing off-market deals and servicing. We had over 1,700 active customers. And to, in November of 2009, that business, we had a 40% attrition rate. Uh, everybody's credit cards got declined. So the real estate investors that we were servicing in 2008, literally overnight, that business tanked. And a year later, I actually kind of shut it down because direct mail and and doing all the stuff that everybody's doing right now, it was no longer relevant. Nobody needed to do direct mail in 2009 for deal flow. It was basically you needed cash and you'd buy it at the auction or, or an REO. And the sky was the limit because there was no competition. Real estate was the dirty word. And so that's typically what happens at the beginning of a cycle. And then all of a sudden, there's so much money that's being made. A couple of years later, in the middle of the cycle, people start jumping in. And then all of a sudden, there's no more deal flow with the banks. So the auctions and the REOs are no longer relevant. For deal flow, it's too competitive. So people go back to the direct mail, kind of near the end of the cycle. And so right now, direct mail, as an example, is super, super competitive. Your listeners yeah. are definitely getting a lot of data.
0: <laughs> yeah. this Well, and this is, I, I don't know. For me, I'm like, this is gold because th- these are the nuggets and the things that we're trying to put together to create a picture of how we build our investment strategies, our business, how we want to move forward, right? Because, dude, you can't be paralyzed in markets. And that's what I love about what you're doing. You're like, listen, different markets have different strategies. You don't just stop and say, oh, we're going to go, you know, on the beach. We're done. Right? no there's different markets different strategies so even though in even for us you know we've gone a year and we haven't bought any kind of uh, 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 property at all and this is when you know our industry and segments as hot as it's ever been and we may buy in the future I I, I technically I don't try to time markets I, I focus more on just a business aspect and cash flow it just tends to be that those things don't work out when markets are hot but this kind of When I look at it and you're talking, you're going from a cash right centric. So you you have a business that produces cash because you're producing one thing. So you're cash heavy on top, right? And then you load up on assets on the bottom. Is that and as simple as it gets, you have a cash flow business, and then when it bottoms out, you move over your cash flow business basically dries up. Because then you
1: that's probably a little bit in terms of an operator, right? Uh, an investor, by the way, doesn't even worry about it. They just buy yeah. right. Buy right. Yeah. Typically, they have money and they just steady Eddie and they take mm-hmm. advantage. That's really the way it should be. There's a lot of people that don't have the, the capability. They have to be operators and they, they don't, they actually. So I think you are exactly right. But I, you know, am I buying today? If I find it's all about the right property, if I can get the right property at the right price, like what stuff that I'm holding on to would be things where I get some owner financing, where you know, we, we make offers all the time where you know, a seller doesn't actually need all the money right now, they'd like a, a higher price, and they love the fact that it's an incomplete sale according to the IRS guidelines, and they can take it long-term cash, you know, cash flow. Those I love because we get really, really, you know, we can actually make great returns, uh, sit usually a very low interest rate with the seller, and those all hold forever. Right. Yeah. That's why I go back. It's not cash now, cash flow, cash later. I think yeah. all three of those are super important. When I'm looking at a deal, I'm looking at a deal as to what bucket makes the most sense for this asset. Um, and, and, and you know, and I would just say right now, we're probably turning
0: more of the properties that we're keeping that makes a hundred percent sense where in fact the deal that we may end up doing right now has owner financing. And it's just a mechanism of the deal that makes it make sense in certain marketplaces. And I, I, I love what you say to keep it really simple. If you find a good deal, it'll be a good deal over the long run, right? Deals that we do, they may not perform as good over certain market cycles, but I'm not playing, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to time markets. I'm not necessarily selling high and so no we buy them we're gonna hold them forever i want to own those assets forever Absolutely. right that, that's that's not the business we're in they are cash flow based we try to keep healthy margins we try to have, make sure the assets are the best they improve focus on the business functions of those assets and then hold them forever yeah and then if more good deals come along we'll buy more yeah and then Here's- if it's tight we won't and
1: you know, here's a golden nugget for everybody. And I wish I really, if I really knew this, I knew it. It's what got me excited about real estate uh, in 2004, but most people get lost. And I wanna share it. It goes back to Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's the definition of wealthy. And that is when your, your passive income is greater than your basic living expenses. Your passive income, that's mailbox money. That means you could be on an island, a beach somewhere, and you're still getting the passive income, being over your living expenses. That's the definition of wealthy. Typically, you're rich. If you're rich, that comes from equity. That usually comes from long-term holding of assets, using leverage to get other people to pay down those mortgages, and over you know 20 years, you become rich. That's the model. A lot of real estate people, they get lost. Uh, a lot of it because of the seminars and the shiny objects. There's the shiny object syndrome, right? I've I've had that trap too. Yep. I, I talk to many people. I'm like, hey, what's your what's your what's your win? What what's your outcome? You know, what if you if you had the money, like what do you want to be doing with your time? I think that's that's the that's the more important commodity is our time because it's mm-hmm. it's it's limited, right? Yes. <laughs> money, money comes and goes. So really everybody talks about oh i need 2 million i need 10 million i need 50 million and it's it's a lie what really what you need is a is a monthly cash flow and it's not typically that big i mean i'm in california you know $25,000 a month $30,000 passive income a month gives you a massively awesome lifestyle and 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 attaining 25,000 uh, let's just say it's 50,000 a month it's not that hard uh, if you run the math of getting leverage and so, but a lot of people that get trapped in in creating a job and a trap for themselves, flipping and all those things because, you know, and then it's just this circular loop and um, understanding this and then driving my life around that is, is really because every, every day I'm more focused, consistent, deliberate and consistent. Those are the two, I, I, Eric Hatch just shared that in Fargo, super sharp guy. Around the country but he said del- being deliberate and being consistent and so for me like okay I'll, you know a couple, I was I came from being an absolute workaholic and today you know I spent three weeks with my family in Europe just got back from a week in Montana I've been to Mexico twice hang out with my kids and I that's what this business right getting it right getting the right model of leverage and cash flow consistency has given me. And I, and and I'm passionate because so many people get lost in the trap. So anyway, I know we've covered a lot of
0: topics. Hopefully this is helpful for your listeners. No, this has been (laughs) awesome. This has just been great stuff. absolute gold. And I I love that. And right there, that just that absolute nugget of wisdom right there and keeping that perspective in long term. Now, before we go here, I've got a couple questions for you. If you were to uh, tell anyone that's looking to get started or wanting to up their game, two different books, business book and a real estate book, where where should they where should they go? What are you, what are your
1: picks? Probably if you can see back here if you're following the video, I've got my favorite books. I will say the best, the life-changing book for me as a business owner, entrepreneur, business owner has been Traction by Gino Wickman. That's a, it's a management model. So I went back to, hey, if you're a business operator, run it like a business. And I always say, hey, if you're a CEO doing $10 an hour work, you're gonna, you're gonna have a $10 bank account. And so Traction is really what gave me, actually, with a, especially with a sizable company that I have, it really gave me the model, the execution model for freedom. And so that that traction book's been amazing. I service a lot of active uh, real estate operators, and so I, you know it's a marketing and a sales business. That's all it is. It's it's like you're you're building a, a marketing company to generate traffic and leads, and you got to convert those leads. That's sales. And so there's a great book by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. That's incredible. I'm reading a book that uh, one of the what, uh, somebody who's been working for me. And working with me for a dozen years, uh, she's out of Dallas. She gave me a book for my fiftieth birthday. I actually, gave two copies. It's called Halftime Time, and how to uh, how to basically go from success to significance. And that's a really awesome book. The the the, the guy that wrote it recently passed away, but just fantastic uh, book. Let's see what else do I have. Oh, you know my favorite real estate book. I think <laughs> my dad gave me this book back in 1985, and it was actually a famous, historically famous real estate book. It was a commercial real estate book called Winning Through Intimidation by Robert Ringer, and it was actually that most people in this business are intimidators, and it was how to overcome being intimidated. Such a great story, and it actually had the the story of the tortoise and the hare, the rabbit and, Mm -hmm. and the turtle, and it actually really does go to show that the tortoise always wins. The hare doesn't. And I actually, especially being in this business, I think there's something to be said about you know the Warren Buffett model of yeah. uh, of, of just the formula. Nothing's new under the sun in this business. It's find what it works. You know, be have good. I have good mentors and coaches. I participate in a lot of masterminds with people that are smarter than me. And you know, I'm constantly changing and, and learning. And, and, uh, and so those, those are, uh, those are the books that have helped me.
0: I love it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And now to, uh, real quick before you go, where can people find you? Um, where should people go to learn more about you, what you're doing?
1: Yeah, for sure. So realestateinvestor.com, we're actually going to about ready to make some really big announcements. REI vault is where most people go, but it'll ultimately all be at realestateinvestor.com. I have a podcast, been getting some really good feedback. I interview some cool people, building culture, building teams, but that's called realestateinvestor.com huddle. And then I just recently, my daughter's kind of forced me to do this, uh, which I think is a good thing, but I'm on Instagram, Gary Boomershine. And usually I record my morning minute, which is something that, uh, that has been a change for me and I like to share it in my morning minutes. So that's, that's out there with maybe a little less than a thousand followers, but yeah. And then in terms of if somebody is an active investor and they need help on deal flow and basically finding a team, they're experts at a, you know, at a reasonable cost we're, it, people say that we're like the, a team of 40 people for the cost of one resource. Um, so we do marketing really well um, driving deal flow and a phone team. We call those ISAs. So if anybody needs any help or some insight there, um, real, uh, reivault.com is a great place to go check out and, and, um, yeah, that's it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the wonderful information you've learned. This has been so good. There's just so much to take away from, from, and we really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, AJ. Thanks
1: all your loyal listeners. I appreciate awesome.
0: it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflowwiththenumber2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.